When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Burnout is not just about, oh, I hated this job or I didn't like these people. Burnout is about you. There is something that your brain and body want to do differently. And if you kind of go back into the fire, you're still going to be burned. Welcome to How To. I'm Amanda Ripley. Before we get started today, just a reminder that if you have any questions or quandaries you're struggling with right now, send them our way. You can always email us at howto at slate.com or send us a voicemail at 646-495-4001. We genuinely love hearing from you. That's how we find most of our listeners, including this week. Yeah, so I'm Betsy. I'm a Coloradan. I like to ride bikes and play outside, and I have a dog, and um, I'm looking for a job. (laughs) The average person will spend around 90,000 hours at work over the course of a lifetime. That's roughly a third of your life. No wonder it can feel sometimes like you are your work and your work is you, which is why it's so upsetting when your job goes south. Betsy's worked for years as a photographer, educator, and storyteller. When she joined her most recent job, she thought she'd found the perfect combination. I chose that workplace because it had a really strong mission and it was making a positive impact on people's lives. It seemed like a good place to work from the outside. When Betsy joined, it was a smallish startup that was known as a great place to work in Colorado. The company expanded rapidly, really rapidly, and the influx of new colleagues created an environment that was much more competitive and stressful and just a lot less fun. The environment for me was really toxic. And um, I think over time I was becoming somebody that I didn't like. (laughs) I felt really defensive all the time. Everything felt like a battle. And I think that that led into my life outside of work. It's just like, Either I was exhausted from fighting all day, but I just was like frustrated that it just sort of like it fed into, I think, things outside of my work life as well. Unfortunately, this wasn't Betsy's first experience with a startup culture that went bad. Earlier in her career, she was at a place where layoffs became really, really common. You were just sort of always on edge wondering um, what would happen. I got very good at uh, what I would call calendar stalking. Like I would pull up different people's calendars and infer, you know, what was happening based on the meetings they were having. It's a, it's a terrible way to work. Even with that previous experience, though, it was hard to step outside of the daily grind of her most recent workplace to realize just how much the environment had soured for her. I will tell you, getting laid off is the best thing that happened to me because I felt like I was really close to rage quitting. Like at certain point, I was going to tell someone off or I was going to snap. And I just thought, oh, thank God I don't have to do this anymore, uh, which is awful. And so now I'm in this space where I'm interviewing at some different companies and I really don't want to make that mistake again. This company was a place that was on all the best workplaces, top workplace, blah, blah, blah. I want to understand how I can do a better job like from the outside of understanding what workplace culture is like. But then what can I do going into a new role to sort of set myself up to success, like making it a place I want to work? 
If there's one person we know who knows how to make his own destiny, it's James Altucher. James has switched jobs more than some people switch shoes. This guy started over 20 companies. Some have made millions, some have gone belly up. He's an investor, a stand-up comedian, and a chess master. He also hosts a popular podcast and has written a stack of books that empower people to reinvent themselves and do big things. And I understand it's hard getting laid off and it's hard to get over that. The best way to get over that is to be successful and happy in your next venture, and then you quickly forget about being laid off. So the best way to get over an old relationship is to get into a new one, hopefully a better one. James has some great tips for Betsy and for all of us on how to take the sting out of rejection and bounce back from burnout. We'll be right back. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. On Death, Sex, and Money, we feature interviews with you, our community of listeners, getting honest about uncomfortable things. I developed an illness where it isn't safe for me to drive. A friend once said to me, sex is like air. You don't think about it until you're not getting enough. This is a similar sort of thing if you just replace sex with driving. Listen to Death, Sex, and Money wherever you get podcasts. One of the reasons we wanted to bring James on the show today is that he's very familiar with both sides of the HR equation. He's hired people and he's shaped company culture, but he's also been shown the door. Yeah, one time I was at a company that had bought a prior company of mine. And this was my second company that I had sold. And so you have to work for the company for a while that buys your company. And one day, a year or so after they bought my company and I was working there, they called me in for a meeting and there was an HR person sitting in the meeting and I suddenly realized, oh, this is not good. I would end up broke and losing a home and and everything. And it would be hard to, I'd feel like such a failure and so ashamed of what people would think about me that I couldn't get out of bed, I couldn't return calls, I would completely like just drop out. And and it was hard for me to kind of overcome my own feelings of, of shame. It's almost like I had this fixed mindset that I was smart, I was successful, I was creative. And if anything touched that narrative, I would completely fall apart. Mm. That's also the worst time to make decisions. It doesn't occur to people what their solutions are when they're feeling really down mm-hmm. and like you're kind of get tunnel vision. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that it, it, it becomes even worse. Like every day your options seem less and less mm-hmm. as you're getting depressed and you don't have the creativity or the health to come up with solutions because you need your brain, you know, active on all cylinders. You know, a lot of the, what you're saying, Betsy has to do with the company, but also has a little bit to do with you. That's why you're asking, how do you avoid some situation in the future like this? And unfortunately, there's no real way to 
avoid it. You know, when people are interviewing you for a job, they're on best behavior, Mm -hmm. just like you're on best behavior. James, how did you, like when you were in that place where you felt really just you couldn't come up with solutions, you're the, the funnel was getting narrower and narrower. How did you navigate that? How did you get out? I think initially I wanted a very specific solution. And I didn't realize until I'd been through this a bunch of times that the way to solve A, B, and C starts with me. Am I doing the things I need to do every single day for my physical health? Like, am I sleeping enough? Am I exercising? Am I eating well? Am I doing the things every day for my emotional health? Am I reaching out to friends and family and enjoying their support and comfort and and friendship and so on? And and that includes networking with old friends who I might not have spoken to in, in years. Am I doing things for my creative health? Like, you know, Betsy, you're a creative and your creativity is not defined by your job. Uh, and so I would make sure every single day, at the very least, I would take out a notepad and I would write down 10 ideas a day just to keep my, uh, what I call my possibility muscle open. I love that. Betsy, do you have a daily regimen for yourself right now? And how is that going? Like, What will be on your regimen? Um, so not particularly. Like I said, I think I've, I'm still sort of been... Um, settling into what that looks like having gone through kind of this emotional experience like it was really hard in the weeks after getting laid off I was um, like really emotional some days I'd like were really like high and exciting and I'd go for a hike and it felt great and then the next day I would just feel like so terrible um, and Mm -hmm. sort of depressed about you know I didn't want to look for jobs nothing was interesting I didn't have any motivation but some of the things that James is saying that sort of resonated with me um, I've been taking a class, um, in like social media marketing, just to sort of think differently. And some of the projects related to that, that class have, have been exercising that muscle, I think in a way that reinvigorate me a little bit. Here's our first rule. If you're stuck in a pit of despair because of a layoff or a current job that just makes you miserable, you cannot see the sunrise right above your head. The only way out is to build a ladder, one rung each day. Exercise, meditate, talk to friends, you know the drill. But also, exercise your possibility muscle, as James says. Write down 10 ideas each day, no matter how crazy they are. And then take some time to ruminate on your best moments from the past, not your worst. What was I doing right on the times when things were going well and what was what was I doing wrong personally on the times when things were not going well for me this is when I got to this idea that oh when things were going well I did have a daily practice of checking the box on physical emotional creative even spiritual and also very important making sure I was around people who supported me and who wanted me to be successful well, I, I love this idea of looking back at like when were you most in you know happy or engaged or the person you most want to be, the Betsy you most want to be, right? Yeah. I remember once I did this exercise um, in a class I took years ago where they had you create a timeline for your whole life and then just draw a line like on, on the x-axis of like over time your your sort of sense of thriving. When did it go up and when did it go down? And then really notice the ups, the, uh, you know, the mountains, the hills. And like, what, 
what was happening then, you know? And it was, it was funny because it almost always came down to, did I feel like I was part of a community? Yes. What you just said, like a space like that for creative teams is so incredibly important. Like I need to be yeah. in a place where it feels okay to fail because if you can't, yeah. you never innovate and you never push the work further. And maybe that's part of what it was too. It just became this like kind of engine that made the same thing because that's what was safe. Yeah, when we had layoffs at Time Magazine, like year after year, it's just you can't take risks, you can't try new things because you're just hunkered down. And like, I don't know if that was the feeling of being hunkered down, but there's like this guardedness. Yes, I used to, it it felt like battle mode is what I said. Like I always had armor on and um, it just felt like no one came to the table as a collaborator. It was just a like demander. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I'm just curious, why do you want a job? (laughs) I mean, that's a really good question, James. I'm not sure I do. <laughs> because, I'm, of course, everybody wants to make money yeah. and work with people and advance their career and, and build their talents and skills. But a job is just one way to do all of those things, including making money. If you didn't have to have a job for a corporation, what, what, what would you love to make money doing? Whenever you're looking for a job, people always tell you to follow your passions. But if you're burned out, it's hard to feel excited about anything. So how do you generate passion out of thin air? One trick James has used is to send unsolicited advice to companies who create things he cares about. Listen to this. So I would come up with 10 ideas for myself, or or I would think of even, here's 10 ideas for Netflix. (laughs) And sometimes I might even just cold send those ideas to a company like Netflix. And that actually created weird opportunities for myself doing things like that. But I did it every single day. One time I wrote to Amazon, this was like in 2014, 2013, here's 10 ideas for your self-publishing group. And somebody wrote back and said, wow, these are great. Let us know if you're ever in Seattle, we'll give you a tour of the facility and we'll show you our new products that we're working on. And I wrote back and I said, well, it just so happens I'm going to be in Seattle next week. Now, I had no plans to be in (laughs) Seattle and I had never even been in Seattle in my life. But they were like, great, uh, stop by. We'll spend the day. And so I flew out there and it was great. And then when I next self-published a book, Hmm. I had people to call if there were any difficulties. I love this idea of exploring the creative intersection of just, you know, the things I love doing, like how might I... Um, not even monetize that, but like turn that into some form of content, like combine the thing I love to make or do with the, you know, the Mm -hmm. activities I enjoy as well. Because even if that doesn't end up as a business, I think that practice will be really fulfilling in part just because I never felt like I had a lot of energy to put towards that. It was part of battling this burnout. Um, Mm -hmm. But the other thing that is connecting with me right now is I'm really inspired by James's confidence. <laughs> and I, I think that's something that happened at this company over the last handful of years too, has really destroyed my confidence um, in mm-hmm. my work, in myself. And I think that the practice of getting back to um, just like creative work for the sake of making things might help restore that in a way that is really important for me. Could I, could I think of, I wonder if we could give you a homework assignment, Betsy, for sometime this week. Tell me what you I think it is. I was thinking the same thing, Amanda. Oh, good. Here's my idea for a homework assignment. I want you to maybe email, like come up with one big, bold idea 
for some company that you feel like you have no business advising <laughs> and email them with your idea. Do so. Do what James would do. <laughs> like, it's a bold move. Probably we won't hear anything back, but like, maybe it's a way of opening up the possibilities, like James has said. And and the other thing is related to this, I would have come up with 20 bad ideas for the company. And <laughs> and because sometimes quantity is better than quality. You know, there, there's a famous advertising executive named George Lois. He's, he's written a bunch of books about advertising. And he, he did this exercise with the people working at his ad agency. First, he said, come up with one good idea for our new client. He comes back from lunch. Nobody's come up with any ideas. And he says, okay, I'm going to go at it for an hour again. I want you to come up with 20 ideas for the client. They all had 20 ideas when he came back. <laughs> so so it kind of loosens up the gears like a little easier bit. easier if, you, if yeah. the volume is just anything goes, right? Yeah, and just do it for fun. Like when I started doing this, when I, when I wasn't employed and, and I was having some other problems, it made me happy for the first time in a long mm -hmm. time. And... And I just loved doing it. I was getting excited about things that were never going to happen. They were just happening in my brain. Hmm. Another thing to do is sometimes I go through my Gmail and I'll go back to like 2018 or 2014 and I'll find someone who emailed me and maybe I never responded to that particular email. And so I'll hit reply and let's say the person said, hey, would you like to grab lunch this week? And I never <laughs> responded for whatever reason. I'll hit reply and I'll say, sure, how's next Tuesday? <laughs> and... And that's like this weird, like nobody, if you never, like, let's say they were upset at you, they're suddenly, they're not going to be upset at you because it's funny. And, and suddenly you're networking again with people you had lost contact with or anything like just stuff like that is just fun, but incrementally moves the needle forward on, mm. on, as you refer to your, your confidence, your creativity, your networking, your career. And then when you go for these interviews, you're going to know hey, do I have that same feeling mm -hmm. that I had when I was doing these fun possibility exercises? Yeah, something that's like really lit up in me as you guys have been, <laughs> I guess I'm, my inner nerd has been activated at the idea of homework. Something I like about working at a company is the framework and the structure and the assignments, basically. And what sounds like it would be valuable for me is figuring out how to give those self-assignments to bring structure to this time, but also like challenge myself um, to make something that that I wouldn't have made otherwise. Like I just really need the the framework or the structure as a motivator, I think. I always give myself that structure. I always do some of this kind of weird networking every day. Uh, and I've time set aside in my calendar for it. And these types of things, like, you know, calling a family member, I, I have to do that every day to to feel that or some way to feel community, because I know this is important for general well-being. And all of these things generate more and more energy. And it's that energy that's a power that will reveal itself in an interview and will also shine a light on all the people interviewing you. You will have the superpower to, to see if you want to work with these people. They're going to have to convince you yeah. that, that they're worthy. When we come back, James has some very clever interview questions to help you develop that superpower and sort out whether a job is likely to lead to burnout before you get there. Don't go anywhere. Hi. 
Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. If you rely on how to to deal with burnout or anything else, the best way to support the show is by joining Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Signing up for Slate Plus helps us help all the people you hear on our podcast every week. You'll also never hear another pesky ad, and you'll get total access to Slate's website. So I hope you'll join if you can. To sign up, go to slate.com slash howto plus. Again, that's slate.com slash howto plus. Thanks. We're back with Betsy, who's trying to get over a recent layoff, and our expert James Altucher. Betsy came to us wanting to know how to avoid getting burned at her next job. How do you tell if a place has a good culture before you get there? It's hard to do, but James says there are a few questions you can ask in the interview process. There's the how do you judge success, but there's also how do you judge failure and what do you do you know you're talking to a manager who's interviewing you what do you do when you see um things not going the way you like you don't really get information from asking positive kind of questions because everyone (laughs) could answer uh the question how do you judge success in in a variety of ways but how they really deal with you know when things aren't going the way they had hoped whether it's in their own job or with an employee or whatever that's worthwhile noting. Um, It's also interesting just to ask, what have people gone on to do after they left the company? Now, this is a hard question to ask because then they're thinking, oh, she might want to leave the company pretty soon. But you could ask perhaps why people have left the company in the past willingly, as opposed Mm. to being fired. And the way the interviewer talks about them Oh, you know, if they say, oh, they left because they thought they would be better elsewhere, but guess what? They messed up (laughs) elsewhere. Then, you know, that's a little bit gossipy, the way they're talking about the person. Gossip Mm. is a a big sign of toxicity in your first conversation with someone. And that, you know, kind of having like a gossip meter where you're kind of registering the moments where you feel it's a little tiny bit of gossip, that's a huge red flag. And I love this idea of looking for any sign of gossip as a red flag. That just, right as soon as you said it, I've never articulated it, but as soon as you said it, I'm like, oh yeah, that is right. Yeah. If they're gossiping with you, they're gossiping about yeah. you, is the yeah. key thing to know there. <laughs> a cheap way to build immediate yeah. intimacy. Exactly. And But that also tells you that if it's so cheap 
then they're cheap. But to pick up on subtle clues like that, you got to come into the room feeling good yourself, James says. So if I'm feeling insecure or down or burnt out, I might not notice when someone's exhibiting, like what's even the tiniest bit of gossip, like they're exhibiting toxic behavior, which is why it's so important also to bring your your best energetic oh, this self comes in. Back to, yeah, you're saying you got to experience at least a glimpse, right, of that feeling of energy and hope right, and possibility. That, there's like the foundation yeah. is, are these things to do, like physical, emotional, creative, spiritual health, that builds this foundation of energy. And then there's the specifics, like look for gossip, you know, these more specific more tactical techniques. Yeah. And by the way, I know it might be awkward maybe to ask in a interview, why do people leave this job? So I used to write a lot about schools and education. And a question I would ask is, you know, what kind of student is a really good fit here? And then I would ask, what kind of student's really typically not a good match for this place? And people were very happy to tell you um, because then it's it's putting it on mm. them. And again, you can also learn probably about the culture from how they answer that question. But that's a great idea. They don't want a bad fit. Like they really don't. They'll tell you things that can be revealing. I love that because it's kind of in line with what we were speaking about earlier too, which is like if it catches them off guard and they don't have this like performative answer. Right. I mean, I, I was right. a hiring manager at this previous company and people ask me all the time, oh, what's the culture like? And I mean, what am I going to say? Right? <laughs> like, I hate it here. It's <laughs> great. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I'm no stranger to presenting a, a package yeah. to people like that. So I love the idea of framing it that way of like, what kind of person isn't a good fit here? Now that you've worked on building your possibility muscle and you've gathered some clues about a prospective office culture, James has one last piece of advice. And it might surprise you. Care less. Like, do this interview, care about what happens, but don't care too much. Like, kind of do this interview almost as practice for you assessing whether this is the type of job you want. Like, don't be too much like, oh, I really need to do well at this interview. Again, take a step back and view this interview as an experiment in trying to see, hey, how can I interview differently so I'm learning something rather than just trying to sell myself to to these people. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I feel like I came into this wondering, you know, how do I avoid getting to a toxic workplace? But it seems like I, in the course of... <laughs> wherever I land next, need to take better care of myself through like creative outlet and balance outside of work. And that that in and of itself will help me maintain some of these things I lost, like empathy and confidence. And that if I'm able to hold on to those things through some of these other practices, that like that will serve me well wherever I land. That seems very wise. Yeah. You know, everything you do at a corporation is like a negotiation. And it's easy when you don't have the energy to respond or when you've been beaten down by the toxicity of the workplace, it's easy for that others to win that negotiation every time. But that's why it's so important to restore, even with a great job, it's so important to restore outside of the workplace. That raises the question I want to ask you, James, is how do you know when it's time to leave a job? Well, I, I remember one time, and this was when I was starting in the hedge fund business, this one hedge fund manager who I 
was managing some money for him. I would go out to dinner with him, you know, once a month or so. And every time we went out to dinner, I would feel bad about myself when I got home. And finally I realized, I just said it out loud. I feel bad about myself every time I eat dinner with this person. And so that was a bad person to work with. And he was sort of a mentor to me also, which I realized he was a bad person to mentor me. And that turned out to be true. It had an ugly ending. And, but then you learn to recognize that, oh, I feel bad every time I'm around this person. And is it me? Well, I'm doing all the things I know I do for energy and for health. So I should just move away from this person. Betsy, have you experienced that feeling of drain or its opposite? A hundred percent. I've had to uh, banish some energy vampires from my life for sure, at least uh, (laughs) uh, socially. Um, And I I think what's interesting to me is that one, like as you spend, as I spent more time in this workplace and it chipped away at my like skills and empathy, um, it, it was harder to have the energy to do that. Um, and it was, it was harder over time. Like it just becomes really, really difficult to put all these things we're saying into practice if you, if it goes too long. And it's funny, I was actually on vacation a couple weeks before I got laid off. And it was one of the first times in a very long time I like truly managed to check out. I told my team, like, don't call me. I, don't, I actually don't care what happens. Like, just deal with it or escalate <laughs> it or whatever, but do not call me. And I wholly checked out and I felt amazing. That's great. And the moment we landed at the airport in Denver, I still had four days before I had to go back to work. And I was already being consumed with this overwhelming sense of dread. And that I did know. I said, it's time. I have to. I have to go. I have to get out. Um, but I was conflicted because I I didn't have the energy. It's just like such a mm. difficult place to be in, which is why when they showed up and let me go, I was like, thank you. This is the best thing you could have done for me in this moment. So yeah. And Betsy, I really feel like you have that vibe and you will, it will be fully recovered and you have ways Absolutely. of taking care of yourself physically and mentally. Um, and you're able to articulate, you know, what what went wrong and what you need and who you want to be so that I'm feeling very, I'm feeling very bullish on this one. Um, I feel so inspired and so grateful for this conversation. Like I I just, I feel really, really excited about um, where I go from here. And I feel really, really excited for the interviews I have scheduled (laughs) because I've got some new questions to ask. And it also just alleviates this pressure. As cliche again, as this sounds, Today, you are the youngest person you will ever be for the rest <laughs> of your life. So time to enjoy that, that youth. Totally. After this call, you should go back in your emails to like 2016, <laughs> find someone you didn't respond to, and hit reply and just respond with anything. I love it. And I'm also going to email you after this, James, in the hopes that like 10 years from now, I'll get a note. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you to Betsy for sharing her story with us and to James Altucher for all of his great advice. Make sure to check out his podcast and his latest book, Skip the Line. And just another reminder, send us your conundrums at howto at slate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001. And we'd love to have you on the show. If you like what you heard today, you know what to do. Give us a rating and a review. Tell a friend. That helps us help more people. 
How To's executive producer is Derek John. Rosemary Belson produces the show. Our theme music is by Hannes Brown, remixed by Merit Jacob, our technical director. Charles Duhigg created the show. I'm Amanda Ripley. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.